Chapter Twelve of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. A murderous attempt. Handsome rooms with a suite of attendants were assigned to Charlie in the Rajah's palace, and he was formally appointed commander of his forces. The four sepoys were appointed to junior ranks, as was also Tim Kelly, who, however, insisted on remaining in the position of chief attendant upon his master, being, in fact, a sort of major-domo and valet in one, looking after his comforts when in the palace, and accompanying him as personal guard whenever he rode out. You'd never know, Your Honor, what these natives may be up to. They'll smile with you one day and stab you in the next. They're treacherous varmint, Your Honor, if you do but give em the chance. At first Charlie perceived that his position excited some jealousy in the minds of those surrounding the Rajah. He therefore did all in his power to show to them that he in no way aspired to interfere in the internal politics or affairs of the little state, that he was a soldier and nothing more. He urged upon the Rajah, who wished to have him always by him, that it was far better that he should appear to hold aloof, and to avoid all appearance of favoritism, or to obtain dominance in the councils of the Rajah. He wished that the appointments to the posts of officers in the new force should be made by the Rajah, who should lend an ear to the advice of his usual counselors, but that, once appointed, they should be under his absolute command and control, and that he should have power to dismiss those who prove themselves indolent and incapable, to promote active and energetic men wholly regardless of influence or position. The next morning Charlie and his four assistants set to work to drill the three hundred men of the garrison, taking them in parties of twenty. They were thus able, in the course of a few days, to pick out the most active and intelligent for the sub-officers, and these with their existing officers of the body, and the new ones appointed by the Rajah, were at once taken in hand to be taught their duty. For a month the work went on steadily and without interruption, and from morn till night the courtyard echoed with the words of command. At the end of that time the twenty officers and forty sub-officers had fairly learned their duty. The natives of India are very quick in learning drill, and a regiment of newly raised sepoys will perform maneuvers and answer to words of a command in the course of a fortnight as promptly and regularly as would one of the English recruits in three months. A good many changes had taken place during the month's work. Many of the officers became disgusted with hard and continued work, to which they were unaccustomed while some of the sub-officers showed a deficiency of the quickness and intelligence needed for the work their places however were easily filled and as the days went on all took an increasing degree of interest as they acquainted facility of movement and saw how quickly according to the european method the maneuvers were gone through at the end of a month then the sixty men were able in turn to instruct others and a body of five hundred men being called out the work of drilling on a large scale began the drill ground now was a level place in the valley below the town and the whole population assembled day after day to look on with astonishment at the exercises 
the four great companies or battalions as charlie called them were kept entirely separate each under the command of one of the sepoys under whom were a proportion of the officers and sub-officers every evening charlie came down for an hour and put each body through its drill distributing blame or praise as it was deserved thus keeping up a spirit of emulation between the battalions at the end of a fortnight when the simpler maneuvers had been learned charlie for two hours each day worked the whole together as one regiment and was surprised himself to find how rapid was the progress which each day effected the rajah himself often came down to the drill ground and took the highest interest in the work he himself would fain have had regular uniforms similar to those worn by the sepoys in the service of the european powers provided for the men but charlie strongly urged him not to do so he admitted that the troops would look immensely better if clad in regular uniform than as a motley band each dressed according to his own fancy he pointed out however that while the news that the rajah was having some of his men drilled by european deserters would attract but little attention among his neighbors the report that he was raising sepoy battalions would certainly be received by them in a hostile spirit by all means charlie said get the uniforms made for the whole force and keep them by you in a store they can be at once served out in case of war and the sight of a number of sepoy battalions when they expected only to meet in an irregular force will have an immense effect upon any force opposed to you the rajah saw the force of this argument and at once ordered five thousand suits of white uniforms similar to those worn by the sepoys in the english and french service to be made and stored up in the magazines while his lieutenants were drilling the main body charlie himself took in hand a party of forty picked men and instructed them in the use of field guns the superiority of europeans in artillery was one of the reasons which gave to them such easy victory in their early battles with the native forces in india the latter possessed a very powerful artillery in point of numbers but there was no regular drill nor matter of loading they were in the habit too of allowing each gun to cool after it was fired before being loaded again it was thought therefore good practice if a gun were discharged once in a quarter of an hour they were then utterly astonished and dismayed at the effect of the european guns each of which could be loaded and fired twice or even three times a minute so month passed after month until rajah Buhau was in a position to put if necessary five battalions of sepoy each seven hundred strong into the field with thirty guns served by trained artillerymen so quietly had the work gone on that it attracted no attention among his neighbors the mere rumor that the rajah had some european deserters in his service and that these were drilling four or five hundred men were considered of so little moment that it passed altogether unheeded the accounts of the state of affairs in the carnatic which reached charlie were not satisfactory duplex with his usual energy was aiding the son of chandra sahib with men and money in his combat with the british protege and most of the native allies of the latter had fallen away from him 
Trichinopoly was again besieged, and the fortunes of England, lately so flourishing, were waning again. In the Deccan, French influence was supreme. Bussy, with a strong and well-disciplined French force, maintained Salabut Jung, whom the French had placed on the throne against all opponents. At one time it was the Peshwa, at another the Maratis, against whom Bussy turned his arms, and always with success, and the French had acquired the four districts on the coast known as the Northern Circus. It was in vain that Charlie endeavoured to gain an accurate knowledge of the political position. So quickly and continually did this change. At one time the Pierce were, and the Nizam, as the Subadar of the Deccan was now called, would be fighting in alliance against one or the other of the Mahratta's chiefs. At another time they would be in conflict with each other, while the Raja Mysore, Morari, Rio, and other chiefs were sometimes fighting on, one side sometimes on the other. Proud of his rapidly increasing force, Borhau Rio would, more than once in the course of the year, have joined in the warfare going on around. Charlie, however, succeeded in restraining him from doing so, pointing out that the victor of one day was the vanquished of the next, and that it was worse than useless to join in a struggle of which the conditions were so uncertain and the changes of fortune so rapid that none could count upon others for aid, however great the assistance they might have rendered only for a short time before. Were you to gain territory, Roger, which you might perhaps largely do from the efficient aid which you might render to one party or the other, you would be the object of a hostile combination against you which you could not hope to struggle. The Rajah yielded at once to Charlie's arguments, but the influence of the latter added to the hostility which the favour shown him by the Rajah had provoked among many of the leading men of the states, where the sides were often so closely balanced as was the case in these intestine struggles the aid of every rajah however small his following was sought by one or other of the combatants and the counsellors of those able to place a respectable force in the field were heavily bribed by one side or the other those around rajah burhau found their efforts completely baffled by the influence of the english commander of his forces and a fraction of increasing strength and power was formed to overthrow him the rajah himself had kept the secret well and one or two only of his advisers knew that the englishman was a trusted agent of the company the soldiers were much attached to their english leader they found him always just and firm Complaints were always listened to, tyranny or ill-treatment by the officers suppressed and punished, merit rewarded. Among the officers, the strictness of the discipline alienated many who contrasted the easy life which they had led before the introduction of the European system with that which they now endured. So long as they were engaged in mastering the rudiments of drill, they felt their disadvantage but when this was acquired each thought himself capable of taking the place of the english adventurer and of leading the troops 
he had organized to victory already charlie had received several anonymous warnings that danger threatened him the rajah was he knew his warm friend and he in his delight at seeing the formidable force which had been formed from his irregular levies were presented him as a token of his gratitude with large sums of money in those days this was the method by which indian princesses rewarded european officers who rendered them service and it was considered by no means derogatory to the latter to accept the money this was indeed the universal custom and charlie knowing that captain clive had received large presents of this kind had no hesitation in following his example the treasures stored up by many of these indian princes were immense and a lack of rupees equivalent to ten thousand pounds was considered by no means a large present charlie foreseeing that sooner or later the little state would become involved in hostilities took the precaution of forwarding the money he had received down to madras sending it piecemeal in charge of native merchants and traders it was by these paid into the madras treasury where a large rate of interest for all monies lent by its employees was given by the company for those at home he felt no uneasiness it was very seldom that their letters reached him but he learned that they were still in high favor with his uncle that his mother continued installed at the head of the house and that the girls were both at excellent schools charlie mentioned to the rajah the rumors which had reached him of a plot against him the rajah assured him of his own support under all circumstances and offered that a strong guard should be placed night and day over the apartments he occupied this charlie declined a guard can always be corrupted he said my irish servant sleeps in my ante-room my four lieutenants are close at hand and knowing that the soldiers are for the most part attached to me i do not think that open force will be used i will however cause a large bell to be suspended above my quarters its ringing will be a signal that i am attacked in which case i reply upon your highness putting yourself at the head of the guard and coming to my assistance tim kelly was at once furious and alarmed at the news that danger threatened his master and took every precaution that he could imagine to ensure his safety he took to going down to the town himself to purchase provisions and so far as possible prepare these himself he procured two or three monkeys animals which he held in horror and offered them a portion of everything that came on the table before he placed it before his master charlie at first protested against this as his dinner became cold by waiting but tim had an oven prepared and ordered dinner half an hour before the time fixed by his master each dish was brought in was after a portion had been given to a monkey placed in the oven thus half an hour was given to allow the portion to work this was done without charlie's knowledge the oven being placed in the ante-room and the dishes thence brought in in regular order by the body servant whom even tim allowed to be devoted to his master one day charlie was just sitting down to his soup when tim ran in for the lava haven mr charles don't put that stuff in your mouth it's poisoned 
or at any rate if it isn't one of the other dishes is poison tim nonsense man you're always thinking of poisonings and plots and it's lucky for your honor that i am to said just come into the next room and look at the monkeys charlie went in one of the little creatures was lying upon the ground evidently in a state of great agony the other was sitting up rocking itself backwards and forwards like a human being in pain they look bad poor little beast charlie said but what has that got to do with my soup sure your honor isn't that just what i kept the creatures for just to give them a taste of everything your honor has and i claps it into the oven there to cap it warm till i've had time to see by the monkeys whether it's good it looks very serious charlie said gravy do you go quietly out tim call two men from the guardhouse and seize the cook and place one or two men as sentries over the other servants i will go across to the rajah the latter on hearing what had happened ordered the cook to be brought before him together with the various dishes prepared for the dinner the man upon being interrogated vehemently denied all knowledge of the affair we shall see the rajah said eat up that plate of soup the man turned pale your highness will observe he stammered that you already told me that one of these dishes is poisoned i cannot say which and whichever i eat may be the fatal one the rajah made a signal to him to obey his orders but charlie interposed there is something in what he says your honor whether the man is innocent or guilty he would shrink equally from eating any of them it is really possible that he may know nothing of it the poison may have been introduced into the material beforehand if the man is taken to a dungeon i think i could suggest a plan by which we could test him i believe him to be guilty he said when the prisoner had been removed then why not let him be beheaded at once the rajah asked i would rather let ten guilty men escape charlie replied than run the risk of putting one innocent one to death i propose sir that you order the eight dishes of food which have been prepared for my dinner to be carefully weighed let these be all placed in the cell of the prisoner and there let him be left in the course of two or three days he will if guilty endeavor to assuage his hunger by eating little bits of food from every dish except that which he knows to be poison but will take such small portions that each that he will think it will not be detected if he is innocent and is really ignorant which dish is poisoned he will not touch any of them until driven to desperation by hunger then he will seize on one or more and devour them to the end running the chance of death by poison rather than endure the pangs of hunger longer your plan is a wise one roger said it shall be tried let the dishes be taken to him every morning and remove every evening each evening they shall be weighed these orders were carried out and on the following morning the dishes were placed in the cell of the prisoner when removed at night they were found to be untouched the next evening several of the dishes were found to have lost some ounces in weight the third evening all but one had been tasted let the prisoner be brought in again the rajah ordered when informed of this dog he said you have betrayed yourself had you been innocent you could not have known in which of the dishes the poison had been placed you have eaten of all but one and if that one contains the poison you are guilty 
Then, turning to an attendant, he ordered him to take a portion of the untouched food and to throw it to a dog. Pending the experiment, the prisoner was removed. Half an hour later, the attendant returned with the news that the dog was dead. The guilt of the man is confirmed, the Rajah said. Let him be executed. Will you give him to me, your highness? Charlie asked. His death would not benefit me now, and to save his life he may tell me who is my enemy. It is of no use punishing the instrument and letting the instigator go free. You are right, the Rajah agreed. If you can find out who bribed him, justice shall be done, though it were the highest in the state. Charlie returned to his own quarters, assembled his lieutenants and several other of his officers, and had the man brought before him. Hosan, he said, you have taken money to take my life. I looked upon you as my faithful servant. I had done you no wrong. It has been proved that you attempted to poison me. You, when driven by hunger, ate small quantities, which you thought would pass unobserved, of all the dishes but one. The dish has been given to a dog, and he has died. You knew, then, which was the poisoned dish. The Rajah has ordered your execution. I offer you life, if you will tell me who it was that tempted you. The prisoner preserved a stolid silence. We had better proceed to torture him at once, one of the Rajah's officers said. The man turned a little paler. He knew well the horrible tortures which would, in such an instant, be inflicted to extort the name of those who had bribed him. I will say nothing, he said firmly, though you tear me limb from limb. I have no intention of torturing you, Charlie said. A confession extorted by pain is as likely to be false as true, and even did you tell me one name, there might still be a dozen engaged in it who would remain unknown. No, Hossein, you have failed in your duty. You have tried to slay a master who was kind to you and trusted you. No, Saeed, the man exclaimed passionately. You did not trust me. The food I sent you was tested and tried. I knew it, but I thought that the poison would not have acted on the monkeys until you had eaten the dish. The fool who sold it to me deceived me. Had you trusted me, I would never have done it. It was only when I saw that I was suspected and doubted without cause that my heart turned against you, and I took the gold which was offered to me to kill you. I swear it by the prophet. Charlie looked at him steadily. I believe you, he said. You were mistaken. I had no suspicions. My servant feared for me and took these precautions without telling me. However, Hossein, I pardon you, and if you will swear to me to be faithful in future, I will trust you. You shall again be my cook, and I will eat the food as you prepare it for me. I am my lord's slave, the man said in a low tone. My life is his. Charlie nodded, and the guard standing on either side of the prisoner stepped back, and without another word, he left the room a free man. Charlie's officers remonstrated with him having not only pardoned the man but restored him to his position of cook i think i have done wisely charlie said i must have a cook for tim kelly here is not famous that way and although he might manage for me when alone he certainly could not turn out a dinner which would be suitable when i have some of the rajah's kinsmen and officers dining with me did i get another cook 
he might be just as open to the office of my enemy as hossein has been and do you not think that after what has passed hossein will be less likely to take bribes than any other man henceforth the oven was removed from the antechamber and charlie took his meals as hossein prepared them for him the man said little but charlie felt sure from the glances that he cast at him that he could rely upon hossein now to the death tim kelly who felt the strongest doubts as to the prudence of the proceeding observed that hossein no longer brought articles from men who brought them up to sell to the soldiers but that every morning he went out early and purchased all the supplies he desired from the shopkeepers in town tim mentioned the fact to his master who said you see tim hossein has determined that i shall not be poisoned without his knowing it the little peddlers who come up here with herbs and spices and the ingredients for curry might be bribed to sell hossein poisoned goods by going into town and buying in the open market it is barely possible that the goods could be poisoned you need have no more anxiety whatever tim as to poison if the attempt is made again it will probably be by sword or dagger well your honor he said tim anything's better than poison i got to sleep almost with one eye open and you got sentries outside your window what a pity it is that we ain't in a climate where one can fasten the windows and bolt the shutters but now the wet season is over again you might have your bed put as you did last year on the roof of your room with a canopy over it to keep off the dew you would be safe then except from anyone coming through the room where i sleep charlie's bedroom was at the angle of the wall and on two sides he could look down from his windows two hundred feet sheer into the valley below the view from the flat terraced roof was a charming one and as tim said charlie had in fine weather converted the terrace into a sleeping room a broad canopy supported by poles at the corners stretched over it and even in the hottest weather the nights were not unpleasant here End of chapter 12